Hi, my name is Sam Conan, and this is Out of Bounds. My name is Sam Conan. I'm the sports editor here at the Daily Bruin, and you're listening to the Out of Bounds podcast, Daily Bruin Sports Podcast. Today, I'm joined again by co-host Ryan Smith, Daily Bruin senior staffer, former sports editor. Ryan, how are you doing today? Feeling good. How are you? I'm doing good. And then our guest today is assistant sports editor, Jared Tay. Jared, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. Really excited to be here. (laughs) Great, great. So it's mostly men's basketball focused today. Big weekend last weekend, big weekend coming up. It's definitely a really important part of the season. They got the Pac-12 road sweep against Utah and Colorado. It's the first road sweep for Mick Cronin with UCLA. So that'll be a, a, a big story. And then coming up, the Arizona State game Thursday night and Arizona on Saturday. So we'll be talking about those. And then UCLA baseball had another sweep this weekend to continue its its winning streak to open the season. They're playing again on Wednesday, but... As far as we know, recording this on Tuesday, still undefeated, so we'll talk about them. And then we'll touch a little bit on UCLA Gymnastics. Uh, they hosted Utah on Sunday. Uh, a little controversy. There's a bit of a shootout there. We'll make sure to talk about that, too. So starting off with UCLA men's basketball, uh, they opened things up last week with a with a win over Utah, won by double digits, and then they followed that up with a, a win on Saturday against Colorado, so... I don't know, Ryan, what did you see out of this team this weekend, especially uh, starting with the Utah game, because I know you covered that one. Uh, yeah, with the with the Utah game, it was just a steady performance from start to finish. They never trailed in the game, and that's a building they haven't had success in in a while, and they went in and took care of business. wasn't their most impressive win of the weekend because of the Colorado game, but yeah, they went in, held steady against Utah, went into Colorado with the momentum, and then obviously they had the big comeback on uh, Saturday afternoon in Boulder. What were they down? Uh, Ten midway through the second half there, and yeah, I think nine came came roaring back, and they got the job done. So another huge weekend for them. They've got the big games against the Arizonas this weekend. Those are two schools that they're going to need to beat if they want to be the regular season Pac-12 winners. But should be exciting here as we come down the final stretch of the season. Yeah, I, I think Jules Bernard definitely was uh, probably the most important player against Utah. It's been a while since you could say that about him. Uh, not to say he's regressed or anything this year, but he's just kind of taken a back seat to some of the some of the freshmen, Jaime, Jake Kyman. Uh, so Bernard hasn't really been a, a big scorer as of late, but I mean he scored 16 points against Utah. He led UCLA six and nine from the field, so he was efficient. He had all his free throws. So that that was definitely a surprise. He played 33 minutes, which is also up there on the team more than some of the guys he usually is behind. So that was that was good to see out of him. Jared, I, what did you think of the Utah game on Thursday? No, you know i I think for the past few games, I've been really impressed with the team's ability. You know, especially on the on the defensive side. I think we saw with Wazoo, Washington, and then continuing into the games last weekend their ability to play sound defense especially in the second half you know I I know against Utah they didn't trail but I feel like with the other games they know that even if they're down at the end of the half they truly believe that if they play if they come out in the second half and play solid defense they do have 
you know, a chance to come back and win. I think it's one of the things that Cronin has been really preaching to them. It's taken a while for that to kind of come to fruition this season. Um, But I think definitely in the second half, their ability to come together as a unit, to gel together, to force turnovers is really the difference maker in this string of games that we've seen them play really well. Yeah, it was it was definitely an impressive weekend for sure. I mean, you had a uh, the the win against Utah. Utah was ten and one at home, and that one loss was to Oregon, who, I mean, may not be number one in the Pac-12 in the standings, but they're probably the best team in the conference. Uh, and then UCLA come came in and they won by double digits, so that was a surprise. And then Colorado was it was their senior day. I know that crowd was really loud. And then. The second they started to, to slip up in the back half of that, that first half, it looked like things were done just because that crowd noise, because that atmosphere. But, yeah, they somehow persevered uh, and played even better in the second half. They had seven turnovers in the first half, which is maybe a little bit more than Mick Cronin would like. Nothing crazy, though. And they came back in the second half and did not turn the ball over once. I don't know how that happened. It was it was definitely surprising. Uh, the whole game was really surprising. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. So Jared, I know you turned it on and things weren't looking too hot. So how did that comeback kind of come to fruition from from your point of view? No, I mean it, it was awesome. I was watching the game um, in my room on my laptop. And my roommates who aren't even sports fans were getting real hyped about our comeback. When I started tuning in, I think it was at that point maybe like 10 minutes to go in that first half when Colorado started to kind of pull away, go on a run. Like you said, the crowd was getting loud. But again, I think the team's ability to come out in the second half, regroup, hold their opponents to pretty low shooting percentages has been the difference maker. You know, I think I think it's interesting. In the first half of the season, this team was almost like a first half team. They would play decently well. They would hang together with their opponents throughout the first 20 minutes. And then in halftime, we would see that breakdown. That happened against USC when we saw them the first time, Stanford when they played here at Poly. But the last few string of games, I feel like it's almost been the opposite. Hanging in with our opponents during the first half, even going into the first half trailing, but then coming out in the second looking very different. Yeah, I think I was I was definitely surprised by the comeback on Saturday, but part of what made it so surprising down the stretch is that UCLA shot 55% on free throws, and they, they've typically been a, a good free throw shooting team uh, these, these past few weeks, which is how they've been able to win these close games and kind of uh, like win the, get these comeback wins and everything, uh, but they didn't have that against Colorado, and they still won on the road without hitting free throws, so... I don't know, Ryan, what did you see in that Colorado game that kind of was uh, set this team apart uh, that made you think that maybe they do have a chance down the stretch here? First thing I want to say is I was impressed by Jake Kyman actually, in that game. He came in off the bench. The team was struggling a little bit in the first half, made back-to-back threes, kind of kept them in the game in that first half because, you know, they don't, they don't score a lot, so they need, that, they need that score to be, you know, decently close. And Kaiman kept him in it, and then in the second half he stayed out there, made big shots, and he only played he only played one minute against Utah on Thursday. So to come out and play twenty minutes, shoot five of seven, knock down the big shots, keep the team in it, that was huge. But to your question of what what separates them right now, it's just it's just it's got to be their defense. I mean they they clamp down uh, when they need to. Um, against Utah, they didn't give up a, a three point basket until the 
like the midway point of the second half. And against Colorado, Colorado went about six minutes without a basket in the second half. So this team, when they need to get stops, and again, they don't score a lot. So that defensive uh, success that they've been having has really been key. And it's going to be the reason they make it to the tournament if they do make it. Yeah, I, I think uh, going back to Kaiman, uh, it was really interesting because he hit those two three-pointers in the first half, uh, and that kind of kept Colorado from pulling away before halftime. Uh, but the interesting thing is that he went uh, three or four from two in the game, and he usually shoots most of his shots from, from three. He didn't have any threes in the second half this time, but he hit his twos. He was stepping in. He was hitting mid-range jumpers, so that was good uh, to kind of see him add that to his repertoire because... I mean, you knew he could always do it. Like, if he can hit an open three, he can hit an open mid-range. But it's just giving him that confidence to maybe, like, make that one move, like a dribble pull-up, and kind of, like, add a little bit more depth uh, to his scoring. So that was really interesting. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was more, too. Their physical, physical shots, uh, you know, around the free throw line, coming out of the post, turnaround jumpers. I mean, they weren't just, you know, dribble pull-ups off a pump fake uh, from mid-range. I mean, he was working for his buckets and... They were impressive shots. Yeah, so two very impressive wins for UCLA over the weekend uh, against Utah, number eight, then number 18, Colorado. Uh, that's a lot of wins over ranked team these last few weeks. Uh, and coming up, they aren't ranked teams, but games against Arizona State on Thursday and Arizona on Saturday. I mean, Arizona was ranked last week, and I think they are the first and third teams just out of the rankings and the received votes part of the AP poll. Uh, so they're two very good teams coming to Poly Pavilion. Stakes are high. All three teams are fighting for buying the Pac-12 tournament. I uh, just want to say that we have our basketball insert that'll be going in print on Friday. So if you're on campus, look for that. For the game or just walking around on campus, the, that'll be out our special issue That'll have special game previews, special uh, print edition articles, and yeah, so keep an eye out for that. One of the things that will be in there is a feature on Jaime Hawkins Jr., and Jared, you're writing that. Do you have any uh, any updates there, how, how things are going on that? Just basically any, any thoughts you want people to know before that comes out? Yeah, I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. And I think the deadline for our articles are tomorrow night. Um, so truth be told, it's not completely done. Um, I've gotten about a third way through it. No, but no, it, it was it was really cool. I interviewed Jaime last week. And I think we, we sat down and we wanted this to be about going into like his cultural heritage. Jaime is a Mexican-American. His dad is a Mexican-American. He still has family that lives in Mexico. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think especially on the collegiate basketball stage, you just we just don't see a lot of Latino basketball players. And so we, we wanted to kind of explore that with him. He's a local kid. He went to high school, I think like 50 miles from here. And so here at UCLA, obviously in, in Southern California, there's a large Hispanic community here. And, and with, not so, with not as much representation as perhaps we'd like there to be, you know, I talked to Jaime about what it means to represent almost an entire culture here on one of the biggest stages, you know, at, at, at UCLA. I will say, I think in, in high school, there have been other outlets that have kind of explored this theme with him and what it means to be a Mexican-American basketball player. At that time, or last summer, he 
went to Peru to the Pan Am Games and he played with Team Mexico there. And so I know he got a lot of Mexican press coverage. And he always says, they, they ask him about what it's like playing basketball in the U.S., which is cool. So I think at least from this feature, we're not going to learn anything perhaps like groundbreakingly new about his life story. I mean, he's still Jaime and, and, and unfortunately his life hasn't changed very much over the past two years. But, but I do think you'll learn about what family means to Jaime. And I think that's what I'm trying to center the feature around. Obviously, family is a big thing in Hispanic culture and, and not a stereotype. I mean, I think it is in a lot of cultures. It is in mine and I'm sure it is in yours, Sam. But almost like what that means to him and how that has driven his life on and off the court. You know, whether it's his immediate family that, all, that are all basketball players and what they've imparted to him or playing with Team Mexico and representing almost his broader cultural family on a big stage. So I think, you know, those are the themes that I hope the feature explores. And, you know, I, a third of the way through, it's been tough, but it's definitely really fun. Yeah, definitely uh, looking forward to reading that. Uh, anyone who's, uh, who's listening, make sure you read that when that comes out on Friday, too. Uh, but before we have that special issue come out, there is the game against Arizona State who UCLA lost to last time. So that, that game will be late on Thursday. Ryan and I will be there covering that. And then the Arizona game on Saturday. I mean, I honestly expect Poly Pavilion to be sold out or near sold out for both of these games. I think if the Bruins beat Arizona State on Thursday, you'll see a completely packed house on Saturday against Arizona. So, Ryan, what, what are you looking forward to most this weekend from both these games, really? Well, the thing I most excited to see this will be my last men's basketball homestand in my time at UCLA so I'm really excited to see the the crowd back into it it's been a long time since um, I've seen Pauly Pavilion you know full and rowdy during these games so I'm really hoping we get to see that but in terms of what's on the floor I just want to see what we've been seeing I've thoroughly enjoyed watching what uh, this team's been able to do the last few weeks and if they can do it again there's no reason the success won't continue and I hope we get to see that again this weekend. Yeah, I, I think uh, both games are going to be really interesting. I think uh, even though UCLA lost to Arizona State last time, they probably had the leg up this time around. I know Arizona State's been playing well, but at the same time, you look at the uh, ESPN's BPI predictions, have UCLA as a, a slight favorite, just barely. That's been moving back and forth over the last few days, few weeks, so that'll be tight, but I think UCLA could pull it out. And Arizona, I, I know is the... The more talented team, they've been in and out of rankings like seven, eight weeks in a row. It's just they're in the twenties and they're not ranked. They're in the twenties, not ranked. It's it's a lot of back and forth for them. Everyone knows they're really talented. Uh, also, for this special issue, I talked to uh, the Daily Wildcats sports editor Jack Cooper, uh, and I was talking with him yesterday, and he just said that the the ceiling for this team is a Final Four team. They're maybe a top five, top ten team in the country when it comes to talent. But then at the same time, they'll let people that shouldn't win, like UCLA, uh, uh, win on their home floor uh, and just not defend home court and have these big freshman moments where they kind of have these lapses late in games. They've lost a lot of close games, but a lot of those are because of late shooting streaks when the game's pretty much in garbage time. So they, they are a talented team, but even from the inside, they know that they're a streaky team. UCLA beat them at Poly last year. UCLA won earlier this year, I think. 
that the chances for uh, defending its home court this weekend and getting the sweep at home are pretty solid. Uh, UCLA needs that sweep uh, if it wants to go to the Pac-12 tournament with a bye and avoid Oregon until the finals. So uh, it's definitely going to be interesting seeing that coming up. And I think with with this weekend, you kind of have to throw the results from the Arizona road trip sort of out the window, uh, just because with Arizona State, I mean, they, they were shooting the lights out of the ball uh, in that first meeting. And you just, you can't expect them to shoot, you know, 14 at 24 from beyond the arc again. So I would expect that game to be much closer than the 18-point loss we saw uh, a few weeks back. And then with Arizona, I mean, holding them to 52 points, uh, you know, on the road. I mean, I, I I, don't see UCLA holding them to 52 points again. That's probably not going to happen. But, you know, they held Nico Mannion to five points in 36 minutes that first meeting. So you just have to expect this is going to be a closer game, especially with everything on the line. It's an ESPN game. The crowd should be into it. So I, I would look out for two uh, pretty close games this weekend. Yeah, I, I think I, I know that Arizona shooting in that game, that was their worst shooting performance in the history of the McHale Center. Yeah, that, that was definitely uh, really rough for them. So I don't know, Jared, what, what do you take from those games? I know Ryan's saying that we should throw the results out, but what did you take away from those games early in the season that maybe we could bring into this this weekend? No, I mean, I totally agree with Ryan. Um, holding the Wildcats to 25% shooting at the Mercal Center, you know, it, it is wild. I don't think that you can chalk it up to our improved defense. I think some of that definitely has to be missed shots, and, and, and it's one of those nights where things just don't go down for you. So I definitely think what, when they're here at Poly, it's going to be a lot closer. Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, you don't want to put too much weight in it, but if they struggle like that at home, my thought process is, well, what's going to happen on the road? It, I mean, not that it can really get worse, but I mean, it's it's hard to, to lose at home and then expect you can go and beat a team on the road, a conference rival like that. So it's it's pretty simple to say that Arizona is the more talented team, but UCLA is insanely hot right now. I know Arizona is too, but they're definitely a streaky team at times. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens on that front. And then, yeah, Pac-12 tournament coming up uh, about two weeks away. We're sorting out our plans for that. It'll definitely be an interesting trip to, to Vegas for whoever goes, uh, including UCLA men's basketball. That'll definitely be uh, an interesting trip for them to see if they can actually put a put a cap on this hot end to the season and maybe make a run to March Madness. So um, that's about it for UCLA men's basketball. And then switching over to UCLA baseball, uh, they had another sweep this weekend. They ended things with a shutout on Sunday. So, uh, Jared, I know you were there on, on Friday and you were following the games this weekend. What, what were your big takeaways from baseball this week? Well, let me just say that I'm impressed with this team. Yeah, I guess they haven't faced, per se, the toughest opponents yet this season. It was UC Riverside in, in the first weekend series and then we're just off the series against St. Mary's. I remember last week on the podcast, Jacqueline brought up those New Year's predictions that us editors did. And mine was about how baseball was not going to be nearly the same team that it was last year. All of those departure players, and Sam, you were the editor for baseball last year. I think all three guys of our weekend rotation, uh, we lost the draft. Ryan Garcia, Jack Ralston, 
who was the Sunday guy? Uh, I think so. Petway was on the the he was the Friday or Saturday guy, depending on injuries. But I mean, he was he missed the end of last year, so he wasn't really around. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a by committee kind of thing because Nastrini was hurt too. So yeah, the the rotation is definitely really different this year. Yeah, and a lot of the bats uh, in the heart of the lineup are gone too. Yeah, Michael Polia, Chase Strum, Ryan Kreidler, you know, they're all gone. You know, so so the team looks completely different this year. You know, but I've been impressed in the way that they've been able to string wins together. You know, there have been games where the bats have been hot and scoring eight plus runs. But I think what's really stood out to me is in the pitching staff. Petway on Friday night had thirteen. 14 strikeouts. I can't remember the. I think it was 13 strikeouts. And so clearly back from injury, he looks really, really good. And he seems to be the Bruins Friday night guy going forward. And on the other hand, the bullpen you know, has been outstanding. You know, in each of our games, our starter has gone, you know, five, six innings. And I think Savage has been really comfortable giving the ball over to the bullpen to finish out the game. I think through through the second and third game of UC Riverside and then our midweek game against LMU last Tuesday, the bullpen held our opponent scoreless through those three games. So really, really impressive with the way that they've been able to come into the game, shut things down. I think the team really believes that if they have maybe one or two strong innings where they can string hits together, get on the scoreboard, their starter goes five, six innings, you could turn it over to the bullpen and they have a really good shot at winning. So, yeah, really impressed with this team so far. Yeah, I remember the the first few games last year was also really uh really big for the for the pitching staff for for last year's team. You went through and you looked at oh the the freshmen were playing great, the the starters were playing great, the bullpen was holding people scoreless through a handful of games. It was definitely uh, really interesting to see. It was like one of the best streaks of ERA over the course of a what five, six, seven games to start a season last year, and I think you're seeing a lot of the same this year, even though there are a bunch of new faces. So, I don't know, Ryan, you were there Friday. Uh, what, what do you? Uh, what are your big takeaways from from this team so far? Uh, yeah, I just to piggyback on what Jared said. I mean, I I sat down, looked up at the jumbotron at the lineup, and I, I mean, I was it was night and day from I mean last year's team and the years past. So again. Impressed with the pitching. I think they've only given up, what, five five runs so far in seven games total. Um, so they're doing well in that department right now. You hope the offense will come around. I think they look good defensively. The outfield covers a lot of ground still, despite McLean coming into the infield. Uh, I think they're just they're solid right now. We'll see how things go when uh, the better competition rolls in. But definitely so far so good on the UCLA baseball front. Yeah, definitely that, that lineup is completely overhauled. Uh, I mean, to... No fault to anyone, really. You had 13 guys go to the draft last year, so you're kind of thinned out on that front. But, I mean, your your best hitter right now has started all seven games, leads with 13 hits, hitting 464 is JT Schwartz, who did not play last year. Like So it's, it's definitely interesting because in, in the past, on last year's team, it was mostly juniors and everything, so definitely a big shift from there. But just the two years before that, when in twenty uh, in twenty seventeen, when you had Chase Strom from Michael Tolia in their freshman years, they were like hot prospects. They were big guys that everyone knew. They were big names. Uh, and then their sophomore year, and then by their junior year, they were kind of household names in the conference in the country. They were top. They were first, second, third round picks. Uh, and then in the MLB draft, you have to leave early. 
but now you have guys like JT Schwartz. You have guys like J- Jake Moberg, Kyle Cuellar, who aren't these big names, but are still getting really good production for you. So I think that's really interesting to see. The power isn't really there for this team yet. It's five home runs so far. Uh, I know last year power was was pretty big because you had Jake Preece, you had Strumpf, you had Tolia, and those guys are just could knock the cover off the ball. And these guys maybe aren't doing that yet. You had two home runs from McLean over the opening weekend, uh, and then you have two more from Michael Curiel, then one from Pat Caulfield. But other than that, you don't really have a, a ton of power hitters. So it'll be interesting to see how Savage kind of takes this hitting for contact lineup and adjusts it so it can hit for power uh, in the future. I, mean, I know Coach Ward's a hitting coach there. He's done a great job uh, just ever since I've been here, really getting the, the fundamentals down with these guys. So I think he'll do the same this year. Uh, I don't know if there's enough, as much raw talent as there has been in the past, but there's definitely uh, stuff to work with for the team. So that'll be really interesting to see how it goes down the stretch. Uh, you know, we're really only in the early days of the season, but it's easy to look forward to things for this team. Uh, yeah, and then we got UCLA Gymnastics who they competed on Sunday against Utah. Both teams, top five in the country. It was a highly anticipated matchup. Pretty much widely accepted as the two best teams in the Pac-12. And UCLA broke the 198-point mark and lost by .05, which was was really interesting. I know there there was some controversy with the judges. Coach Chris Waller uh, was kind of drawing with them a bit. So from some disagreements on that front. Uh, and then, I mean, Kyla Ross won an all-around. She was just as good as she always is. It's kind of insane at this point. But then you had Grace Glenn, uh, who led off beam with the perfect tens, the first time that's ever happened in NCAA history. So, Jared, uh, I, I know you were following gymnastics this weekend. Uh, what did you kind of take away from that? Like, any conspiracy theories or... Uh, I know, I know. One of the other assistant sports editors, Coral Smith, uh, she's kind of been uh, on a tear this week, kind of ready to to break down the the judging system. So I don't know, Jerry. You're right. I don't think I'm one to comment on conspiracy theories. I think you know my my background in gymnastics scoring is highly minimal. I really don't know how it works, but you know, like you said, one of the assistant sports editors here here at DB, Coral Smith, is going to have a column coming out tomorrow basically about how there were discrepancies between judges for our routines between like the two judges so I think like one judge would give you know somewhere in like the 9.9s and then like the second one would give closer to like the 9.7s and you know I'm hearing that that is a massive jump and it's really uncommon you know for that to happen Um, there has to be something fundamentally different in the routines to see that sort of drop off between between the two judges you know like you said it i think still it was an impressive meet for the bruins um you know they post as a team they posted seven season high scores and six career high scores which is still really good and then i was talking you know in the office yesterday with with coral and the other chief angie forberger who uh, was the editor for gymnastics last year and i think while it's really well, it's still important to be winning these dual meets. Angie said that it's still more the overall score that matters. And so I think breaking that 198 barrier is a big positive for the team to be taking out of this. 
you know, it's obviously unfortunate that they didn't get that head-to-head win. And it just makes, you know, when we see them again in Pac-12s, for us to win over them makes that even more important. But I do think the really high score is still something very, very positive to be taken away from this meet. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the thing about gymnastics, really, is that it's, it's nothing against the sport, but it's one of those sports that it doesn't really matter who you're going up against. Like, you're not affected by your competition. You're not typically like changing your your game plan you kind of have you just it's more inward you focus on yourself and design your own uh your own routines and what their max scores are and how you're going to do those i mean maybe it it changes if you're home or away just on crowd noise and pressure but really i mean breaking that 198 mark is is huge they only did it a handful of times last year uh not really until later in the season uh, maybe around this time. So I'm, I'm surprised to see they're kind of on the same trajectory on that front in terms of scoring. Uh, the concern is that Utah has gotten better than uh, over the course of the last year. So, I mean, it, it's interesting to see this team hitting their, their ceiling maybe, or at least like fulfilling their potential. Uh, but yeah, they really have a lot of a talented gymnasts on that team. It's, it'll be fun to watch uh, over the next few weeks coming up, Pac-12s in March. Yeah, so that'll be just about it uh, for this week's show. I don't know. Uh, Ryan, you got anything else this week? Um, sure. Uh, no promotion here, but, I mean, if you're a student listening to this podcast, uh, if this gets out before Saturday's game, uh, make sure you're out there at Poly for that UCLA-Arizona game. Make sure that building's full. Uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere. ESPN game. I'm looking forward to seeing that building packed. Yeah, and uh, Jared, how about you? No, I, like you said, I'm really excited about the insert that we have going for these two Arizona games. There's a lot of people here at DB that work really hard to put that together. You know, not just us, the writers who are producing the content, but all of the people in multimedia, whether it be the people who are designing the page, the illustrators who are drafting up artwork, the photographers who, you know, are taking beautiful photo shoots of Jaime <laughs> for the feature. You know, all of those people at DB really put their heart and soul into these inserts. So, you know, like Sam said, if, if you're on campus Friday morning or even if you're online on dailyburn.com, you know, definitely take it, you know, take a look at it. We really appreciate, you know, the support and we really have a lot of fun putting these things together for you guys. So, Yeah, I would say definitely these these inserts that we do uh, in the sports section are kind of our, our, our calling card or like it's what everything builds up to. We do like a, a couple every every quarter, uh, they're definitely really fun to produce. Big collaborative effort with within the sports section, and like Jared, uh, like you were saying, uh, with copy, with photo, illustrations, design, and uh, like a lot of work goes into it. And it's it's fun to see it turn into what it what it does because the product is almost always like perfect. And I I just love seeing it in print. I love seeing it online. We get a lot of good stuff out there. So yeah, that'll be on newsstands on Friday. If you're here for the Arizona game on Saturday, still be there unless they're uh, they're all taken by then. But yeah, definitely make sure to to grab those. We got a lot of talented people working on them, and yeah, looking forward to how that turns out. Uh, other than that, uh, that'll be it for this week's episode of Out of Bounds. Uh, Ryan, Jared, thanks for coming on, guys. Yep, thanks, Sam. Yeah, th- uh, thanks again to, to you guys for coming, uh, to Omar Saeed, the podcast editor at the Daily Bruin, 
for uh, producing this and for editing this week's episode again uh, big shout out to him yeah that'll be it thanks for listening come back next week and yeah see you later This week's episode of Out of Bounds has been hosted by me, Sam Conan, and Ryan Smith. Special thanks to our guest, Jared Tay, assistant sports editor. And we were produced and edited this week by Omar Saeed and fact-checked by slot editor Zoe Willoughby. Out of Bounds is a Daily Bruin sports podcasting production.